You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. I wish I had a bass roll like that every time I like walked into a room. <laughs> Hopefully that added a little something. Maybe you want to listen even more now because of that low rumble. Uh, my name's Donnie. I also work in the student ministry. Thor and I get to do a lot of stuff together, uh, but I also get to do this a lot on Sunday mornings, uh, which is talk to you. But really, we're talking together. We're getting around God's Word, which we think is hugely important. We do it every week, and uh, really, the Word of God is the centerpiece for everything we believe and everything we do around here. Um, everything we raise money for, everything we're focused on, it all comes out of God's Word. So we are in our theme for the year is all in. That's our theme, all in. And the idea behind that is God has been and is all in for us. He demonstrated that uh, on the cross, that he is all in for us, and that as our response as an act of worship to him, out of relationship with him, that we should also be all in for him. And uh, we get to be all in for him. And so a specific aspect of that we're talking about is responding to the glory of God. Uh, We've been doing that. David uh, kicked us off last week in our uh, theme of spotlight. Um, and really talking about the light of God or the glory of God, the manifestation of God, when God shows us who he is. So we're in the book of John, so you can follow along in the Riverside Community Church app. There are notes there for you to follow along in. I hope that you have uh, a Bible handy, either electronically or you can grab one from under the seat in front of you. And uh, again, we're in the book of John and we're gonna be uh, in John chapter two today. And um, most of you guys in here, even if you're younger, junior higher age, you've, you've been to wedding, uh, wedding or multiple weddings before. Um, and uh, weddings can be pretty stressful events. Um, everything has to be just right. And it's like a big production, basically. There are a million facets to it and a lot of people involved. And I mean, it's hair and clothes and food and buildings and music and everything's got to be just right. And so because I am in ministry and I work at a church, I've been involved in a lot of weddings, either in them or helping with them. And, uh, you know, most of them go off without a hitch. Most of them go off without incident. You may have some little hushed rumbling among the guests that something wasn't right, just like at church, you know, um, you know, people kind of nudging each other or in the car ride away, you're like, oh, there, was, there weren't enough cookies, you know, or I, I didn't like this food or, you know, I, the so-and-so's wedding had better, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just like a thing, you know, everything has to be perfect. Well, that puts a lot of stress on the people that are pulling the wedding off, you know, because if it doesn't go right, you know, it's like everyone thinks your family is lame and like your wedding wasn't as good as everyone else's and, you know, and, and there's so much going on, it's easy to get focused on that and you don't even remember why you're there. I mean, it's such a production too. It's kind of like a religious thing, like you sit in a wedding and you're just staring because you've been through the drill. So you're not even paying attention half the time. You're just like, I show up because I want them to see me. I love them, yada, yada, yada. I, I've been through this. And you just zone out somewhere in the middle of it. Some of you guys are like bawling and other users are just staring at the wall. You know, you guys just looking at the wall. Um, I, Mike Evans is one of our pastors on staff and he is preaching in Oakmont today. And uh, I've known Mike since he was a teenager. His wife also came through our student ministry. So I was very close with them uh, through student ministry in high school and then uh, them growing into the awesome leaders that they are today. And so because of all of that, I was a part of Mike's wedding. And I have to say, of all the different weddings I've been involved in and... Uh, 
Mike's, there was something funny that happened during Mike's. You know, he communicates, he, he likes to preach and he likes to communicate and get his words right. And words are a big deal when you're the groom, you know, or the bride. Like, you, you got to say the right things. And it's really done for you in most of them. Like, I was the one telling him what to repeat, you know? And so we get to the vows, and it was funny because we're there, and we're in the moment, but it's stressful, you know? You know, it's, Mike's kind of nervous, and you know, he's turning a little bit red. He's sweaty. He's sweating profusely. And, you know, weddings are always in the summer, so it's, like, hot. And uh, so... Mike is ready to do his vows, and I said, the, I said what he needed to repeat, but despite what I said in front of the whole room, instead of saying what I told him to repeat, Mike said, I, Lauren, take you, Michael. That's what he said. And so I repeated it, so it's not like I can say it different. So I'm just kind of like, not sure how to help you here, like... Give you a second to think about that and backtrack. You know, it's just really funny moments. You know, he kind of acknowledged it. Everyone laughed, and he ended up saying the right thing and uh, ended up being funny. But that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard during a wedding, especially because it was Mike. It was just, it was great, you know? Um, so at least everyone was awake at that point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, wedding, weddings can be pretty crazy things, and, and we can miss it, you know? I think even whether you're the family, whether you're a guest, with the reception, just all the stuff. It's easy in the glory, because really that's the glory of a wedding, right? It's all the stuff. You're looking at how beautiful everything is, and even the couple themselves can be so caught up in the glory around the wedding that you can lose sight of like what we're really here to do, what we're here to commit to, what we're here as witnesses to be a part of, what we're here to celebrate, and the fact that this is this thing that happens before God that's hugely important. And we can lose sight of that and all of that. And I think that's, as humans, we do that. We lose sight of the glory of God, and we lose sight, more importantly, of God amidst his glory. We get distracted by it. And the glory of God's all around us. Whether we realize it or acknowledge it, we're all basking, kind of like we enjoy sunlight. God's blessings and his glory are, it's like the air we breathe but we can get so distracted by all that that we're, we're kind of not realizing or looking for or seeing the source of where all of this awesome stuff is coming from. And we could sit here all day and talk about what all those things are. I mean, it's just countless blessings that show us the glory of God. And the question I want us to think about this morning is how do we receive the glory? In what manner or what way should we be receiving the glory of God? So, you know, you can take that several ways. You can say, well, how can I live and act in such a way as to facilitate the glory of God appearing or happening in my life? How can I live in such a way that highlights the glory of God and allows it to come to the surface so that I can see it and experience it, so other people can see it and experience it? You can also process that by saying, how, how should I be receiving this and what should I be doing with it? When the glory of God is around me, when it's manifested around me, when it's manifested in other people in their lives, when the glory of God's there, what should I do with that glory? How should I respond to that glory? Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. This is your word, God. This is your truth. And so Holy Spirit, we don't pretend to be able to understand all of these things on our own. And so we now ask you to open our minds so that we can understand what your word is saying in the big picture, in the broadest sense. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help each of us to understand what you want us to understand at this stage of life that we're in and with the tasks, the mission, the life that is before us, the world we live in. 
Help us to apply this so we can leave here and truly be changed by your word because we believe that's why your word has been given to us so that it will change us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna look at John chapter two. This is a pretty well-known story. Uh, If you've been around church, you've probably heard this story read or talked about. It is often commented on. There's a lot of buzz and a lot of discussion around John chapter two. And specifically, uh, the first few verses um, starting with, with verse one, and it records Jesus basically being at a wedding. He's invited, him and his disciples, him and his family are invited to a wedding, and there's a lot of stuff going on in this story. And let me just start off by saying, this story is not about Mary, this story is not about weddings, this story is not about alcohol. People have written and discussed in volumes, all of those things, that's not what we're going to look at today. Not about those issues. We're, we're going to try to dig deeper into what the core message of this story really is, what we really need to get out of it without being distracted by a lot of other, uh, maybe good conversations, but maybe not the main conversations that we should be having about this. So um, this story is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So I think when we're reading the word of God, a great question to ask is, what can I learn about God and who he is through what I'm reading. Any part of the Bible, what, what can I know more about God as a result? What, is this, what does this scripture passage reveal to me about who God is so that I can understand him better? So John chapter two, verse one, um, big wedding situation going on. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse four, Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. So a couple things there to notice about this. First of all, Jesus is just hanging out. Um, He's there as a guest. He's with his family. His mom is there. And obviously, Mary is kind of observing the stress. She understands this. She's been living for a while. She knows the stress that's involved involved in all this. They're friends. It's a a small community. She knows everybody there. And and there's some stress going on around the alcohol at the wedding. And so she's kind of concerned that it's going to mess up everything. And the, the family would look bad if it runs out. And so there's just kind of this awkward situation that's potentially about to happen. And Mary's just wanting everything to go well. She wants everything to be awesome, and she also knows Jesus, you know, and she knows who Jesus is. Now, she didn't fully know. She knew as much as she could know at that point about who Jesus was and what kind of power Jesus had, and she knew enough to to kind of go to him. Now, verse four trips people up sometimes because it seems like Jesus is being rude or stern with her, and really, there's really nothing in the text to suggest that. Uh, The terminology he's using is not awkward or weird. The best way to explain that is when he's hanging on the cross, he addressed her in the same way. When he said, John, here's your mother and and Mary, here's your son, he addressed her in the same way. So very much uh, we should be interpreting this, I think, as a term of endearment to to her. He's not being uh, putting her down or acting like she's nagging him. That's really not, it's reading into the text to suggest that. So basically she comes to him and says, hey, she presents him with the problem. There's something awkward about to happen. This is like, ah, so who does she go to? You know, she goes to the only person that she knows to go to who has the power to do something. She doesn't really, she doesn't tell him what to do. She just comes and says, Here, here's this situation. 
And he says, why do you involve me? And again, I don't know exactly what he meant by that. He could mean a lot of things by that. A lot of times Jesus asked questions like that to get someone to think about who he was. Why are you really asking me? Which is a great thing to think about. Why are you coming to me? Because if you think I can do something about this, why do you think that? Instead of just coming out and saying, I'm God, he would do things like that to get people to think about who is, what his true identity really was. But also, I think it's a way for him to say, yes, we're close. Yes, you're my mom. Yes, you know me. But my agenda, just so you know, it's fine for you to come and do this, but my agenda is not determined by things like this. Just so you know, so that we can keep things straight here, you don't come and tell me what to do and I don't just respond knee-jerk to things. There's a bigger plan at work here. There's a big picture at work here. I have an agenda that is set by one person and it's the Father. And that's what I set my agenda according to. So he's establishing here something very important that not just Mary needed to understand and be reminded of, but we all need to be reminded of and understand. As we come to him, there is an agenda and he's the one in charge. That's the bottom line. He knows what that is, and he determines when he acts, how he acts, according to his time frame, because he gets it. And we're finite. We don't understand. But the thing I kind of love about Mary here is she is not really, in a good way, not really taking time to think about all of that. She just goes to Jesus. And he says, why do you involve me? The thing that was ringing in my head is just get Jesus involved. Get him involved, right? Don't overthink it. She goes to Jesus because she knows who he is. She has confidence in him. And she goes to him and says, hey, here's my problem. You read the Bible cover to cover. You're going to see the people of God running to him and laying their issues down in front of him. I think the key thing there is she's not telling him what to do. She just gets him involved. And I I stopped me in my tracks. I'm thinking, how many situations in our lives are we presented with that we do overthink too much? We sit over here kind of like processing and trying to figure everything out, whether we should bring something to God, when clearly scripture says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We're supposed to come to him and lay that stuff at his feet and saying, there's a problem here. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves. And I don't, I don't see anything to indicate that Mary wasn't humble here. She just came to him and said, something's wrong. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Did Mary know that Jesus cared for her and people? Yes, she knew that. So she comes to him and says, here's a problem. I'm laying it at your feet. I'm not telling you what to do. They, they communicated clearly and he responded clearly that it's fine for you to do this kind of, but just so you know, I'll act if it's God's will for me to act. And if it fits into a bigger plan, not just on a whim, not for you. And, and Mary's not asking for something for her. I noticed that as well. She comes and she's asking for something on behalf of someone else. She's not trying to get something for herself. And I don't know how much that played into to Jesus' response or God's response. We don't always know why God responds the way he does, when he does, how he does. And that's one of the points here, is that we can't know that. Our role is to come and just bring stuff to him. So I can't help but wonder in your life, like, what's going on in your life? What situation are you facing, friend facing, family facing, where you just need to get Jesus involved and know you're not going to be able to figure it all out? No, you're not going to even know how God's going to respond. Maybe you're afraid he's going to say no, so you're not even bringing it up to him. Our role is to just bring it and lay it at his feet, humbly, 
and accept what his response is and acknowledge the fact that he is the one in control. So someone who knew Jesus asked him to get involved in a situation on behalf of someone else. I wonder, how applicable is that to you? I wonder if there's a relationship you have in your life where this applies. How can you get Jesus involved in that situation, in that relationship, in what's going on in your world or in someone else's world around you? I do believe, again, I think the Bible teaches this cover to cover. We could talk about a lot of scriptures. I think I can see it in and we can see it in that God invites participation in his plan. He doesn't expect us to know everything, but he's always beckoning us. That's what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation to participate in what God's doing. He does not want us to just sit back and be spectators. And I think the reason why he does a lot of the things we see play out in scripture is because he wants us to be involved. As long as we're willing to submit to his bigger picture and his bigger plan, I think it's always appropriate to come to him. I mean, even Jesus demonstrated that in the garden when he said, not my will, but your will be done. But here's how I'm feeling right now. So this is a pattern in scripture, I think, that's very, very hard to ignore and we shouldn't ignore it. Let him filter out our requests, but we bring everything to him freely. Get Jesus involved. John chapter two, verse five. So after this plays out, it's just funny. I don't know if there are any other words spoken there. He says, my hour has not yet come. And his mother just turns to the servant and says, do whatever he says. Whatever he says. Which you can interpret that a lot of ways. But clearly she had confidence in him. She didn't tell him what to do. She didn't say how to solve the problem. I know him and he knows what he's doing. So just do whatever he says. I don't need to be involved anymore. And really it's interesting because she fades totally out of the story. She just says, do whatever he says, whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So Mary has confidence. She says, do whatever he tells you. I love the servants here. They're just, they're just quiet, kind of humbly serving, doing their job. Um, so they're just you know, kind of trying to make the best of the situation. And, and they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And it's interesting. These, these jars are interesting. It's just like Jesus to do this. These stone water jars, the reason John points out what they were is because it was part of a, the old religious system. And these stone water jars could not be made impure. Now, there's a lot of discussion we could have about, around that. There were certain vessels that had to be treated a certain way and could be made unclean if they were earthen. These were stone vessels that were, did not, they could not become unclean. And they were used for that ceremonial washing for that purpose. They were part of the old religious system. So it's just like Jesus to be like, hey, use those. Use those old religious, you know, it's just all, I love how he does stuff like that. Just, just boom, 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 use those. And he's gonna do something different with those. Foreshadowing, perhaps. I mean, John's writing this, not mindlessly. The old, Jesus is putting something new in those stone vessels. So, the thing, again, I don't know if it stands out to you, but it's just echoing in my head, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And so often we come to God and, and there are situations where we come to him and we want him to do exactly what we want him to do. On our terms, on our time, in our way. And it just doesn't work like that. It's gonna lead to frustration. 
It's going to lead to a brokenness. It's going to lead to us trying to be something in our relationship with God that we're not made to be. So the bottom line, yes, come to him, but we need to respond and let him reveal his glory in his way, on his timing. We just turn him loose. Let him go. We, we follow him. He doesn't follow us. So Mary was willing to say, I have confidence in this man. I have confidence in who he is. So I'm willing to turn him loose and let him define how this situation goes. And man, does that apply to so many situations. In our lives, in the way we carry out ministry, in the way we relate to people, in the way we do jobs. I mean, this has implications for every part of our life. Are we trying to pull the strings and run the show, or are we really submitted to him and doing whatever he says? But the second guessing is human nature. But if I do this, then this, or what if, or I shouldn't, or I'm scared. And you guys know how that goes because we've all been in that situation. Mary doesn't even hesitate. Do whatever he says. Whatever it is, it's going to be right. Can we get to that place? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I think we can. But here's the truth. If we can't get to that place, we're never going to get to the place that we need to be in relationship with God. We'll always be frustrated. So Jesus got involved. Why did he get involved? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm the answer person because honestly, I don't know all the reasons why he got involved. He had his agenda, and I think there's some mystery around that, and there's always going to be mystery around that. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, there will be mystery around what Jesus decides to do and decides not to do, what God decides to change and interact and what he doesn't, and we're just never going to know the answer to all of that, this side of heaven and being with him. I mean, hopefully he tells us when we get there. I would have some questions, you know. We got time, I think, to talk about it. Hopefully he'll, he'll reveal some of that stuff. But I think Jesus saw an opportunity. Mary came to him. He said, look, I'm not doing this because you're making some trivial request. Because really it was meaningless. It fit his plan. There was an aspect of this that fit his plan and God's plan to do what, accomplish what he came to do. He wasn't doing it so people could have a good party. And it's important to note that. He got involved because it fit his plan. Or what, is what we're asking for fitting God's plan? Is what we're trying to be involved in fitting his plan? Or are we just concerned with our neat life and the things we want to happen? Huge question there. So John 2.8. They did so. So the servants did so. They did what he asked. They did so. They, they brought the wine to the, the guy that was in charge or kind of running the show there. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So I love these servants. There's nothing about them in here. I'm just, I wonder who these guys were, who these women were, like just kind of doing their thing quietly. But they saw everything. Just, that's something that's just like Jesus to me. People who are in humble position, kind of quietly serving, who are, who are not the main people in the culture and story, he just lets them see stuff. He reveals himself to people in, in humble position or, or are serving in that way. And I think it's kind of cool. And I, I wish I knew what happened to them. Like, I wonder how this affected them. Because they're seeing something, and I wonder if they got... Did, did we... You know, I wonder what kind of conversations happened about that. Did you guys... Did we... Did... What happened there, you know? I wonder if they, like, went and found him, tried to follow him, figure out what's going on. But they knew... It says, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana in Galilee of, of Galilee was the first of the signs. 
was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. He put up a sign and he revealed, he he shined a light, a spotlight came on. He put up a sign. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So there's the piece that fits into the whole story. He used this as an opportunity to show something to his disciples that he wanted them to see because he knew what was coming. So he used it as an opportunity to pull his disciples in and give them an opportunity that he wants everyone ultimately to have, which is, can you see me? Do you know who I am? Are you seeing enough to look further? Are you understanding enough to know that there's more here that you need to understand and be a part of? He revealed his glory. And it's interesting that most of the other people in the story, they drank the wine that he had made, but did not know who he was. So you've got some people there that we don't know what happened. Undetermined, the servants, we don't know. The disciples were like, dude, we need to pay attention to this. We're going to stay with this guy. Don't even understand what's going on here, why he did it, but, but something is here and we need to pay attention to this. But then you've got this bigger crowd of people that tasted the wine and didn't see. Man, that was irking me. It, just, it, it gets to me. What if they would have dug deeper? What if someone would have asked where it came from? What if someone would have wondered... Is there more to this story? You wonder if everyone did. And I wonder in this life, how many people are not seeing the signs? Because Jesus wants us to see the signs. He doesn't want us to just drink the wine. He wants us to know where it came from. All of the glory, all of the blessing, everything that surrounds us that we would call a sign, that God would call a sign, he doesn't want us just to think that's awesome. He wants us to follow the sign to where it leads, and it always leads to him. So I think there are a lot of people that just hang out in the perimeter. They enjoy the sunlight, but they really aren't thinking about the source and where that light is coming from. And that's why Jesus did it. It wasn't just to make a party. It was to point to his identity and draw people to himself. Some drank, some saw Jesus. And I think it's the same way today. Some drink the glory in, and the glory is the main thing, and some see Jesus. Some pursue Jesus, some look deeper. You will never see the right path for your life if the spotlight is wrongly placed. Because the spotlight should be on Jesus. Something Mike said, and it's been ringing in my head, the spotlight, if the spotlight is wrongly placed... You'll never get to where you need to be going. Good things can actually become bad things if they're the main thing. It's another thing Mike said this week when we were talking about the message. Ooh, that's good. Good things can become bad things if they become the main thing. And I wonder how many things become main things in our lives and we just stop there and we're not seeing Jesus in the midst of it all. Romans chapter one, this made me think of Romans one verses 19 and 20, where Paul's just talking about humanity in general. And he says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen 
being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The signs are all around us. We either pay attention to them and follow them to the source or we don't. Follow the signs to Jesus. Your life as you sit here today, there are signs. I guarantee you, I promise you, Romans 1 is true for you, it's true for me. There are signs, just follow them. And the signs will always lead to the same place. Think about where it it led the disciples. He said, my hour has not yet come. That's what he said to his mom. My hour has not yet come. Well, what was his hour? His hour was his death and his resurrection. That was his hour, and he was relentlessly focused on that. So if we, the disciples followed the signs, and you know where the signs led the disciples? The signs led them to the cross. When we follow the signs, it's always going to lead us right to the foot of the cross, where Jesus stands saying we have to acknowledge this. It'll always lead us to that place where we need to acknowledge who we are and who God is. I am broken. I am finite. I am created. I am sinful. I'm willing to acknowledge that. And now the real thing happens. It wasn't about the wine at the wedding party. It was about coming to the cross and having this realization that God loves me. I need him. And there is a way for us to be okay. There's a way for our relationship to be fixed. And here it is on the cross. So the disciples kept following. They ended up at the cross. They saw the resurrection and they received new life. And so many others have followed the signs and received the same eternal gift. You want to look for meaning in the wine and the stone jars? The new has come. There is no more old, stale, broken religion with no hope. He put something brand new. He put wine in those things. There is life evermore. There's life to come. It is unlimited. It never runs out. He can keep filling those jars over and over and over again. There is enough for everyone. Read the book of Revelation. It flows freely. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever wants a relationship, it is there. The cross was the gateway to let the masses in. Whoever wants it. That's good news. The best is yet to come. The party is just getting started, honestly. When we come to him, there is hope for a future in this life and beyond this life. All we have to do is stop settling for the little party so that we can be a part of the huge one. That God loves us and we can have a relationship with him. We can have purpose here. That the main things that we make the main things, they're not nearly as good as the real main thing, which is living for God and living out his purpose and his gifts and his plan by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question we all need to answer is what are we going to do with the glory of God? He has gifted us with his glory. He has shined upon us in a million ways. What will we do with it? It's the same thing we're all facing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to close with a time for you to respond and think. And the most important thing on any Sunday, on any day, would be for someone, anyone, maybe you today, to acknowledge that my relationship with God is not right. I'm distant. I'm broken. And I want that to be fixed. But I can't fix it. So I'm willing to let Jesus fix that for me and what he did on the cross. And I'm going to talk to him about that. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. So if you're here today and you don't have a fixed relationship with God, you and him are kind of separated. And maybe you were saying for a while, like, well, I'll just fix it by just being as good as I can. But you're realizing that that just doesn't work because it doesn't. 
that Jesus is the only one that can fix that brokenness. And maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you've never known God or really have a relationship with him. Maybe you did it one time, but you've been away. But for whatever reason, you sit here today and you need to come to the cross just like the disciples did and end up there and say, Jesus, fix my sin and my brokenness. Here I am, I'm not gonna pretend. I can't, I can't live my way out of this or act my way out of this. I'm coming, I'm coming to the big party, the real party. I wanna see what you want me to see, I wanna see you. Maybe you're here today and your prayer as you think, as you worship, maybe as you come forward or talk to some prayer partner down front, maybe your prayer is, God forgive me because I've been making some good things the main thing. I've been kinda like trying to direct you to be what I want you to be and not really turning you loose and doing whatever you say. I've been involving you but not letting you set the terms. God, help me with that. I want to I acknowledge that. I want to change that today. You're in charge. I want to put you back in your rightful place. And I want to put the right things as the main things in my life today. Maybe you're here today and your prayer is, Holy Spirit, give me strength because there is an area in which you are struggling with what we're talking about or just in general. And you know you can't do it on your own. You know you can't follow these signs. You know you can't respond to the glory of God without the Spirit of God. And you're facing some things that you need help with. And maybe that's your prayer today. Holy Spirit, give me strength to live how you want me to live and do what you want me to do to follow you. God, I pray for all of us as individuals, but I pray as a church that you would help us to see the signs and follow them to you. God, help us never to get mixed up or confused or out of focus about what the main thing is because the world needs to see you, God. And and if we as your church get confused about what the main thing is, then the world's not gonna see you. So help us to be like Mary and to get you involved and put you in the spotlight to follow you, let you drive the agenda in our lives, but also in our community, in our church. And I pray as a result that someone who's not here this morning, someone who's not a part of your kingdom will end up seeing you because of the way we live and where we point the spotlight. May it always be on you. Help us to do that. And for those, God, who talk to you this morning and ask you to fix their brokenness and fix their sin, hear their prayer, flood them with your grace and mercy and show them what the next step is. Hear our prayers and our worship and receive them this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.